at what point does good intentions turn you into a supervillain? And then we travel to Ohio to kick off close encounters of a canine kind week. We're going to look at three stories of what happens when dogs meet aliens. In today's story, two hunting hounds are on the prowl looking for a skunk or a fox, something like that. Something they can kill with their teeth. Probably not a skunk. Now that I think about it, that'd be the worst thing to hunt. Honey, look at I brought home dinner. But these two hunting hounds are on the prowl looking for its prey. Instead, these two dogs end up in the presence of a gray alien. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are ready for Close Encounters of a Canine Kind Week. I only have three stories. I'm not going to force five, but there are three really cool stories of what happens when man's best friend meets invaders from another world. We'll go ahead and get that started in just a second. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Burnt Toast Ghost. Woohoo! Yeah, walk on in. Yay! He's walking on in with a bunch of hound dogs. He's ready to fight aliens. Burnt Toast Ghost, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show, totally fine. I get it. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That really does help out a lot. And if you guys do support the show, if you guys are Patreon supporters, don't forget we have a Patreon Discord. And we do live episodes every Sunday, and Burnt Toast Ghost is one of those guys who tries to make sure that he swings by all the time. So it's really, really a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Burnt Toast Ghost, we're going to go ahead and start off by tossing you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dune Buggy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command, drive us all the way out to a volcano. We're walking around the edge of this volcano, lava spewing everywhere. It's all erupting and stuff. And we got on our heat resistant. You, you brought your heat resistant suit, right? You're not just wearing regular clothes as you listen to this podcast. You're not geared up. Sorry, bro. Hot lava spewing everywhere. And those of us who wore heat resistant suits were like jumping around in it. Actually, I think it's I think it's just that they're heat resistant. I don't think they're lava proof. But anyways, we're hanging out at the edge of this volcano. Our feet are dangling over the rim. And the reason why we're here is volcanoes are sometimes good. That that was the name of my thesis in college. Volcanoes are sometimes good because, yes, while they suck because they're like shooting lava everywhere and people have to run from them, like boulders are falling on top of people, sometimes if the world... Okay, I think I strap in because this is a science-based story. This is a good old Jason. Jason read a single article. That's not fair. I did read multiple articles, but Jason's going to try to explain something that world-class scientists struggle to put into words. But anyways, lava, sometimes bad because it melts people, right? If it's like chasing after you and you have a cramp in your leg, you're like, ah, I'm dead. But while we mourn your sacrifice to the lava gods, sometimes lava is good or volcanoes are good. Because it can reduce the temperature of the planet. 
Because as it's like spilling lava everywhere, there's also a bunch of dust coming. How does the dust shoot out of it now? Oh, clouds, clouds. So the clouds billow out. It's not actual dust, I don't think. <laughs> Google search can easily answer this for me. But anyways, clouds are shooting out of the volcano. Hot lava is terrorizing the people below. But then, because the clouds will cover the sky, the sunbeams can't get in. So it makes it, things get cooler. So as you're slowly boiling to death, as you're like, oh man, why did I pick today to eat this watermelon on the edge of a volcano? And you're boiling, you're blowing up, melting from the inside, pick your poison. <laughs> you can you can enjoy, you're like, oh, this sure is a nice breeze. This sure is a nice cool breeze on the last remaining two inches of my skin because it can actually cool the planet. But... Sometimes volcanoes are still bad because as the planet cools, crops, like you're growing, you got a bunch of wheat, and you're like, ah, right, good old sunlight. <laughs> Thanks for doing your part. Thanks for doing your part on this farm, giving these plants all the nutrients they need. And then all of a sudden, a giant volcanic cloud starts floating around, and it's like, ha, 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 ha. And it's like standing, it's standing just over your crops. It's like all your neighbors, their wheat continues to grow, and the volcano's like, I hate you. And then if it's too cold, crops can't grow and people have to buy jackets because they're getting a little chilly too. But sometimes volcanoes can still be good because despite the fact that everything's getting cooler and your, your only your crops are dying, it can reduce the temperature overall. And people are concerned about global warming. They don't really use that term anymore, but global warming, they're concerned about climate change. So volcanoes can be good and bad. That's all well and good. Or bad. It's all well and good or bad. But what happens? This is actually a real story that's going on. And people are incredibly concerned about this. Because, listen, we can't tell when a volcano is going to go off. And it can do, it can cause massive disruptions to the environment. We know that. But what if somebody decided to start setting off volcanoes on purpose, but to solve global warming. What if there was a group of people, a dedicated organization that exists today, that decides we are going to set off multiple volcanoes all around the world, and it will actually, in the long run, it will help the world because the temperature will drop, and we will end the climate crisis. Generally, we would call that group, we call that group Cobra, right? That sounds like a terrorist act from a 1980s cartoon. But there is actually a group called Make Sunsets. And this is a real group. Now, while they aren't as cool as actually like, I would have been like, I have 10 nuclear bombs built underneath all of these volcanoes. I lost thousands of men <laughs> planting them. They all melted. But the bombs didn't melt. And now world leaders bow to me and climate change. That's what I'm really doing it for. It's not to make people bow to me. It's climate change. I'm fighting it. They're not that cool. They're not actually blowing up volcanoes. What would happen if you blew up a volcano, actually? That's kind of interesting. <laughs> Jamie, find that out. Find that out and get back to me. They are creating artificial volcanoes. There's <laughs> not much of an air baking powder or baking soda, whatever it is. It's not that. They have these weather balloons 
Well, that's the real reason why Biden's been shooting all that stuff down. What they're doing is they're using weather balloons that will release... This is totally true. They have these weather balloons that they... I don't know why I keep saying that. I talk about ghosts all the time, and I just assume, you know, that stuff's true. They have these weather balloons that are going to release sulfur into the air, and this mimics the good part of the volcano. It's it's the less cool part of the volcano, to be honest. Like, it's kind of lame. But the sulfur in the air, they're releasing it, so it mimics the effect, the cooling effect of the volcano, you know, when all the smoke and dust is up there. It creates a cloud of particles that reflects the sun rays away from the planet. And here's the thing. They're, they've already done this once. And you, this is a new article. I just read this article written by Emma Gatton. This article came out about two weeks ago where they were talking about it. And they were like, we're doing this because we need to save the world. We need to stop the climate problem. We need to cool the earth down because it's steadily getting hotter. Think about all those... Uh, chunks of ice that are breaking off and stuff like that. That's what we're trying to stop, is what this... You know what's so funny? Their their group is called Make Sunsets, and that's not as cool as Cobra or Skeletor or the Decepticons, right? But it's actually worse. Because I think in real life, the, the like, the creepies, the creepos out there, allegedly allegedly i don't know how creepy these people are i don't know if they have a bunch of mutant henchmen or stuff like that but you would name your group like rise or you would call it like the helping hand project and you would basically be like creating mind-controlled monkeys to take over countries you wouldn't name a group cobra as cool as that is you wouldn't because everyone would go, well, I don't want you. I don't want you operating in my country. I'm not going to donate money to your 501c3 nonprofit. You're called Cobra. So they're called Make Sunsets, which is spooky. Spooky. So anyways, and you go, Jason, you're just being an alarmist. These All these people are doing. <laughs> all of a sudden, you're a member of the group. All my Patreon donators, they just leave. They're like, he's discovered our plan. This has gotten so bad that you can go back. This is not a new plan. People have been talking about this for years. But you can also see articles going back years where other scientists, most scientists, are saying this is a terribly bad idea. Like, yes, the world's getting hotter. And yes, if you release sulfur into the air, it will do what you're saying it to do. But the scientific community is totally against this. It was interesting, um, Sir David Attenborough, you know, the narrator guy, he was talking about this, I think, back in, like, 2012, and he said, he, he called this fascist. He called this practice fascist. He had this interesting quote. He said, geoengineering is a very difficult thing because what that means is that you allow one nation or one small group within that nation to determine what's going to happen to the whole globe. And he he says, you know, that's that's really, it's fascist to do that. You have other scientists, other leading scientists saying, it. everyone agrees that this would work it, as far as like a scientific experiment, a scientific principle. But they go, listen, you'd have to do it all over the globe at the same time. If you just change, if you just release this sulfur in the northern hemisphere... It's going to destroy the southern hemisphere. They go, monsoon seasons would become completely unpredictable. 
we wouldn't be able to, not like they're doing a good job of predicting the weather now, but we wouldn't be able to, we'd be able to predict it even less and we wouldn't know when to prepare. It would throw everything off. So if you're going to do this, you have to do this everywhere. The problem is, is Make Sunsets has done this. Well, as, as the time of this recording, they've done it once. They originally planned to do it from Mexico and they released this balloon in December, December 2022. This is the first time people are announcing that they're doing this. It'll be interesting. I wonder if anyone's tried it before. They're releasing two kilograms of sulfur into the air. They launched it from Mexico, the first one. And the Mexican government goes, you can't, you can't do that here. You can't do that here. So they're now, this is so insane. They can't do it in Mexico. The government said, get out of here. We don't know what, I mean, we know what you're trying to do. And that's nice, I guess. But this is rogue science. So the government of Mexico kicked them out. So now they're in California. California government's like, sure, go ahead. Throw up that sulfur, guys. And they're planning on launching another balloon full of this. And they're like, we have... The thing is, is, when you look at these articles, when you, they'll all be in the show notes. But when you look at these articles, you have this divide. Basically, you have everyone in the scientific community. Well, not everyone. Like, a biologist probably doesn't know anything about this. Or a social scientist is like, what? What's sulfur? But in the climate scientists, they're like, don't do this. This is a terrible idea. And if you're going to do it, you have to do it everywhere at once. And you can't have one person deciding to do it. But on the other hand, you have Make Sunsets say, we can't wait for a global consensus. We can't wait. The, eventually, it's going to be irreversible. The damage to the climate is going to be irreversible. If we wait, it'll be too late. So we are going to take action because of the rest of the world sitting around twiddling their thumbs. So they're launching these balloons. They're being funded. People are donating money to this. And they're changing, or at this point, attempting to change the environment one balloon at a time. <laughs> that would be so hilarious. That's the reason why all these balloons are getting shot down. It's not UFOs. It's make sunsets. And they're like, drats, my balloons, they keep getting destroyed. And then there's like a sexy scientist in a black leather medical coat. And she's like, oh, yes, but maybe, just maybe, we'll, <laughs> the plan's just to release more balloons, right? Yes, we'll release balloons until they run out of missiles. And then that's what they're going to do. I actually, they didn't actually say that. That wasn't a direct quote. We're going to release balloons until they run out of missiles. But very, very interesting story. And it comes to, I get, listen, I get the idea of saying, if we sit around and wait for the entire world to decide to do this, it may be too late. I understand the logic. But on the other hand, if every, if every other scientist in this field is telling you to stop, you probably should stop. But you can't make them again this is it comes down to rogue scientists where you have people saying we're going to launch these balloons because we can't wait and that's the thing we'll wrap it up like this i find it so interesting the most compelling villains have understandable motives if not i think here's the thing i'm not going to talk about thanos or anything like that when you look at ted kaczynski the unabomber he Sure, he loved blowing up innocent people. I mean, that's the first thing that you don't want to see on a resume. Someone's going to get a job with you. But his goal was to de-technologize the world. 
He was like the world, the modern world has become sick. This is so funny. This is way before like the internet and smartphones, a little bit of internet, but not like it is today. Social media, smartphones, all that stuff, self-driving cars. He's like, society's sick. It has too much technology to it. We're losing connection to nature. He built his bombs out of natural parts. Wooden bombs. Wooden bombs. He's like, <laughs> I shaved the gunpowder myself. I mined it out of a mine and used a woodpecker's beak as the firing pin. He made these bombs 100% natural. 100% organic killing machines. So you could say his means was terrible. Blowing people up. But his motive wasn't. I mean, again, I'm not saying I don't want to live in that world. You know, I like social media and I have, you know, obviously I have a podcast and stuff like that. Does, that doesn't exist in his world. I'm like writing stuff down and giving it to carrier pigeons. And I'm like, fly, fly away. Uh, I don't want to live in that world. But I can understand someone who would. And again, he's like, well, no one's making a change. So I guess I got to blow up, blow up all these people. It's interesting that I used him as an example because there is a theory, a conspiracy theory, that he really just liked blowing people up. And then he retconned a theory. He retconned a... Because he wrote that big manifesto afterwards. And it's so funny to note, I remember when the Unabomber wrote his manifesto, you could buy it at a bookstore. They published it. It was like 20,000 words or something like that, maybe even more. They published it. You could read his manifesto. Could you imagine them doing that today? Isn't that, inter- isn't that really interesting? Like, And that would have been in like the late 90s was when he got caught. His brother had recognized phrases and, and, and uh, beliefs. Actually, that shoots that conspiracy theory out of the water because, yeah, the brother read the manifesto. We didn't know who the Unabomber was. He didn't say bye, Ted Kaczynski, on the manifesto. People are like, oh, I'm my favorite author. I hope, I hope he publishes more books soon. He recognized, like, phrases that his brother used. And <laughs> I'm going to kill you all. He's like, yeah, my brother did often mention about killing us all with a wooden bomb. We thought it was weird growing up, but now it all makes sense. Phrases that his brother used and beliefs that his brother had. So Ted Kaczynski's brother had re- was reading the manifesto, and he's like, oh, Ted. Ted. Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. And turn his brother in. <laughs> now he sleeps on a pile of reward money every night. That'd be hard. I shouldn't make fun of that. That would be hard to turn your brother in. But anyways, um, you understand the motive, right? When you look at somebody like, who's that guy? Um, this one's probably more controversial to bring up. <laughs> then we'll move on because I could keep doing this. Um, I, I, it's on the tip of my tongue. I, I'm pretty good at remembering my mass killers. Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh, Terry Nichols, and the third. There was a third guy involved in that. I 100% believe I my conspiracy theory. I know I'm going a little off off script here, which I'm not known to do. My conspiracy theory is was that Timothy McVeigh. There's there's evidence to back this up. Timothy McVeigh was funded and assisted by Al Qaeda. I think the Oklahoma City bombing was funded by Al Qaeda. I don't believe he acted alone. Well, you know Terry Nichols got arrested as well because Timothy McVeigh never talked. Like, I mean, he sent he was in Supermax, he was sentenced to death. They kept asking him where, who else was involved, who else was involved. I don't even think he fingered Terry Nichols. I think they just happened like he had some... When the FBI caught him, he was using this nitrate fertilizer. He was, like, putting it in his garden. The FBI's like, stop, stop gardening. 
And that was the same fertilizer that was used to build the bomb. They had more evidence than that. You're like, oh no, you're listening to this podcast and you're doing gardening. You're like, oh, what madman is using this fertilizer right now? Ah. They had some other stuff. I mean, obviously they knew each other and things like that. But that was one of the pieces of evidence. He was using the same fertilizer that was used to build the bombs, Oklahoma City. I believe that that was Al-Qaeda with... Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. I don't think they acted on their own. Do I have any proof? No, no, I don't. Um, I know at the scene, they said two people jumped out of the rented truck. I think it was like a U-Haul, something like that. Two men jumped out of the truck and ran. Multiple witnesses saw this. And one of the men was white. And the other man was of Middle Eastern descent. And they took off running. Some reports just have one person of Middle Eastern descent. Some some reports, to be fair, just have one person who's Caucasian running out of the truck. But this would have been the original Twin Towers bombing by Al-Qaeda was done in 93, where they had tried to blow up the World Trade Center with a truck bomb. And it didn't work. And now we have two years later a... U-Haul truck pulled up outside of an Alfred P. Murrow federal building, and it killed 168 people and 680 injuries. I don't think Timothy McVeigh had noble motives, but in his mind, in his mind, he did. The government overreach. The government overreach. He had seen events at Ruby Ridge where federal officials gunned down a family. But the family was shooting back. But, you know, when you, you, you know, they killed a, a mother holding her child. You had a standoff at Ruby Ridge. Then you had the Waco standoff. And these two events set Timothy McVeigh off. Now, would he have done it otherwise? We don't know. Maybe he's just a lunatic. But in his, well, he was a lunatic. Okay, <laughs> he did blow up a building. But... There's people who just blow... Serial killers are um, selfish, selfish creatures, right? There's no noble motive whatsoever. It's their dick doesn't work. They can't get any sexual satisfaction any other way than to kill somebody. There's nothing noble there. As opposed to the Unabomber. I mean, I guess the Unabomber's technically a serial killer, but you guys know what I mean? Like... Timothy McVeigh, I do not agree with what he did at all, but in his mind, see, that's where we're getting, that's where we're getting back to this other group that's a registered nonprofit corporation people are donating money to. I'm not comparing them to Timothy McVeigh, even though though that sounds exactly what I'm doing. Timothy McVeigh truly felt like he was striking out against a corrupt government so that's why he chose this federal building and i think that's why he would work with al-qaeda because they were kind of coming with the same goal so they're in their heart of hearts al-qaeda wanting to topple america you know from their point of view which is not my point of view i want to be very very clear it's not my point of view in any of these things i'm not saying the unabomber should have blown up a bunch of people just so we wouldn't have cell phones one day or that any of these people should have died. But in their viewpoint, Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden was all about why are there U.S. troops around Mecca? That was something that he... That was originally Al-Qaeda because this is our list of demands. 
we want military presence pulled out of Saudi Arabia because why are there a bunch of U.S. troops stationed in Saudi Arabia around Mecca? Like, that was one of their demands. I'd still not, still not a valid reason to kill a bunch of innocent people. But you can see why they think that. You can see why they think that now. You can see where they go. Why We don't have, you don't have a bunch of Muslim troops surrounding Vatican City that have been stationed there for 15 years. So, you know, that's their point of view. Once again, I'm going to say you can have different points of view. Doesn't mean you got to blow stuff up. And for any future libel or defamation trials that I am in, I'm not saying that makes sunsets is connected to Al-Qaeda or the Unabomber in any sort of way. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is sometimes the... Let me, make, let me figure out the best use of words that'll keep me from getting sued. Sometimes you can have intentions that are good for you. And you may believe that overall the world would be better off with your vision guiding it. Whether that's less technology and more connection to nature. Maybe that's the toppling of a government that you find absolutely corrupt and is killing its own people and people all around the world. An imperialistic conqueror. Or that the world is getting hotter and hotter and hotter and soon we will reach a point where there is no way to turn back the clock. And while the governments of the world sit around and just take vote after vote and nothing passes, we can act right now to change the trajectory of the planet's temperature. We can save the human race, but we have to do it now, and we have to do it unilaterally. Those can take you down dark places. Those types of beliefs can take you down really, really dark places. Obviously, history has borne that out. There's thousands of Hundreds of thousands of horrific actions that have been committed for the sake of the greater good. In their minds. <laughs> right? In their minds. So while I'm not saying Make Sunsets is... I'm not saying that they're fans of Theodore Kaczynski. I'm not saying they're fans of Timothy McVeigh or Osama Bin Laden or anything like this. You can see the the, the through line. So, again, everyone's warning these people, don't do it. It's really going to mess up the environment if you keep doing it. They feel like they're doing the right thing. People are donating money. They're eventually going to win this lawsuit. They're like, dude, we are not Theodore Kaczynski. Sue that guy. I'm not saying you're Theodore Kaczynski. <laughs> but I have nothing else to say, Your Honor. I'm not... I'm not... I'm just, hey, you know what? Get the documentary dude. Get Sir David Attenborough up here. Talk to him. He called them fascists. He started it. He said they were a bunch of fascists. Actually, he gave that interview before this company even existed. But he's like, you can't do this. You guys can't do this. This is going to cause havoc. That should be the name of <laughs> when they take off all of the Make Sunsets banners. They rip them down. All of a sudden, it says havoc. Actually, I think that was the <laughs> actually I think that was the bad guy group from that cartoon mask. But still. Uh, I think it would be, if you're going to try to destroy the world's weather systems, embrace it. Start having all your employees wearing menacing costumes and 
And maybe, you know, the, your CEO can be, like, horribly burned in a sulfur accident, and then he has to wear, like, a metal mask in the shape of a sun. And he just, like, interrupts the Super Bowl one day. You're just sitting there watching a bunch of people throwing the old pigskin around, and then all of a sudden, and then it's, like, just a picture of some dude in a... You're like, is this a new commercial for Sunny D or something like that? Why is that guy wearing that big sun mask? And he gives this huge speech about how he now controls the world's weather. And then when it goes back to the Super Bowl, it's snowing. They're like, oh, we didn't expect to play this game in the snow. We're in Tampa, Florida, but let's keep going. And then you're like, I, you know, better go better go check my wheat fields and make sure they're not destroyed. Burnt Toast Ghost, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind the rim of this volcano. Take us all the way out to Ohio. <laughs> We're in or near Bethel, Ohio. This takes place back on December 1st, 1996, late one night. Back in 1996, you had two hunters and their hunting dogs walking through this harvested cornfield. And the hunters are like, yep. There's probably stuff to hunt around here, right? <laughs> probably some crows that are still looking for some corn to eat. Maybe a porcupine or something like that. <laughs> this is their first day hunting. They don't really know really how to do it. They're going to let the dogs lead the way. So they let their hunting dogs loose. And the dogs are just tearing through the area. <laughs> They've caught a scent of something, good man. Hopefully it's something edible and not the scent of a pine tree or a rock. And the two hunters go out and they're following their dogs. And then all of a sudden, the dogs enter a clearing. So they're, now they're out of the harvested cornfield. They're kind of in a little forested area. And they fall completely silent. That, that obviously alarms the two hunters, right? Normally, dogs just don't stop barking out of nowhere. Sometimes we wish that they did. But especially if like they're out having fun, they're hunting, and they just fall completely silent. Well, the two hunters now enter this clearing as well, and what they see is a flying saucer. It's a flying saucer. It has landed on the ground, little landing gears, you know, holding it up off the soil. He said, the, the the person who told the story, we don't have their, their actual name, but one of the hunters who told the story, we'll call him Tony, said the dome, it, like it had a flying saucer, it had a see-through dome on top of it, which is weird. That's so reminiscent of like 1950s sci-fi movies, but this was what he was reporting. He's looking at this flying saucer, and walking around the flying saucer were three what we would call gray aliens. They were wearing coveralls. Again, that's an interesting thing. Sometimes gray aliens are completely naked. Sometimes they're wearing clothes. He goes, these were the clothed ones. These weren't the pervert ones. One of them was taller, had a much bigger head than the other two. And you could surmise that that's the leader. These other two are the working grays. That's another thing we see in a lot of gray encounters. But when the humans showed up and the dogs were just standing there, just staring at this thing, that's what it caused them. You're like, what caused him to go silent, Jason? They shoot him with some sort of silence beam? No, it was just being in the presence of this UFO. Those dogs just stopped. 
And when the humans showed up, when Tony and the other hunters showed up, when they get into the clearing, he goes, the aliens are already like running back on board. This was not like a first contact. They're going to tell us to clean up the environment type of thing. They were booking it. These aliens were not supposed to be seen. They were out of there. And he goes, there is an open hatch on the side of it. When we get there, the dogs are just watching this whole thing. Aliens are running aboard their ship and then it flies away. And this was cover, I got it from thinkaboutitdocs.com, an amazing website on UFO encounters. They got it from UFO Roundup, Volume 1, Issue 41. The reason why I wanted to start off this Close Encounters of the Canine Kind week, three different stories this week, today's, Wednesday's episode, and Friday's episode, we're going to be talking about dogs and aliens, dogs meeting aliens. I wanted to start off with a neutral encounter. Now, we've covered dogs encountering aliens before in past episodes. I'll see if I can pull those up. But these are, these next, this one and the following two are exceptional in different ways. This one, a lot of times the dogs are barking at the aliens or um, wincing, like, kind of like curled up in the corner. Actually, now think about it, we've covered a ton of dog and paranormal stories. And it makes sense because humans and dogs spend a lot of time together. The reason why I like this story is because just like you have stories where humans encounter aliens and the humans are terrified and they try to run away. You have stories of humans and aliens where a conflict breaks out. But a lot of UFO stories, humans are just kind of in awe of what they're seeing. There's no conflict whatsoever. They're not abducted. They're not chased. They're not shot with stun rays. Nothing like that. It's just a person driving their pickup truck and they see this disc and it's so close up. They can see the occupants. And you know you're looking at something that maybe 0.01% of humans will ever see. I mean, sure, people can look up and see lights in the sky, but you're looking at a, a silvery vehicle that you know was not built on Earth. And you can see the occupants. Or in this case, like you see it landed. And you're clearly seeing some aliens walk around, or in this case, run around. The hunters had their guns, right? There's no point where they're like, we wanted to take one back as a trophy. We want to see what they taste like. You're in awe. And that's what I love about the story is, is the dogs are in awe as well. Because the other two stories we're going to cover this week, the dogs act more like dogs. How you would expect a dog to react when a life form from another planet comes down. Because we know how dogs react when just life forms from this planet come around. But these dogs, and I don't think it had anything to do with some sort of paralysis ray. Imagine if you're a dog, your vision isn't the best, but your sense of smell is top notch. You're a hunting dog. You have really good hearing. You have fine vision, but you have these other senses to make up for it. A human already, when they're looking at a UFO and they're looking at a gray alien, it's hard for us to process that information. What do they smell like? And not just what do they smell like, what would they smell like to a dog? A dog hasn't been all over the world. It doesn't know what a... Bobcat smells like and 
a cheetah smells like and a penguin smells like. But all of those smell, they would recognize it, I believe, as something from Earth. They would eat the penguin, <laughs> that penguin's toast. They would smell that cheetah and they would have to go, whatever that is, is that's big. Because I can smell it, I can't see it. I can smell it. It smells like a predator. What would an alien smell like? What would your reaction be to that if you were a dog? Well, I mean, like you would, those dogs realized, just like those humans, that th what, this isn't supposed to be here. And those dogs did the smart thing. They just stood there. And you think, like even, we're talking about the smell of the aliens. They probably heard things that humans wouldn't hear. Right. They probably heard things coming from that UFO that a human ear wouldn't pick up. And again, like what would the what is the inside of a flying saucer smell like? We have tons of stories of people being on UFOs and sometimes we'll get uh, senses of touch from aliens. They'll be like, I touched it and it felt grays. Generally, they say their skin's rougher than they look. They look nice and slick, but it's actually almost like a real rough Touch to it. There's a big theory that the gray aliens, what we see, that's actually a suit. That's actually a space suit. That's not what the aliens look like. We've covered that before as well. But we have all these other experiences of UFOs, touch and obviously sight and a little bit of hearing. Again, think about all the UFO stories we've covered and other than weird noises like or like these doors opening or these laser beams being fired or teleportation. The inaudible hum of a ufo's engine that humans would never pick up on you know a dog would hear that and, and what's interesting remember these dogs were just running they smelled something that led them into that clearing in the first place but once they got there and once they took in the entire tableau they were like okay we're just going to stand here and wait till whatever's going on we're not going to run away we're not going to approach. We're just going to stand here and take in this experience. It's fascinating because that's normally what dogs don't do. And we have a ton of stories we've already covered of dogs not doing that, of attacking or backing up or wincing or getting scared or just going ape and running off into the distance, just breaking through the farm line, just disappearing. No, these dogs, they were in awe of what they saw. They were speechless, which makes sense because they can't talk, but even in dog language, barking, growling, they were speechless. And I thought, what a great way to start off Close Encounters of a Canine Kind Week with a very neutral event. Because on Wednesday's episode, we're going to take a look at what happens when two dogs corner an alien. It's two to one. Fur and fang versus technology from a world we can't even hope to understand. Who will win? We'll find that out on a future episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. 